Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond. And today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. This is episode number 433 with Magnus Grimland of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey, Founder Fam, welcome back to another episode. Today's guest, Magnus Glimland, is the Chief Executive Officer and Founder of Antler, a global early-stage VC enabling and investing in the world's most exceptional people. Antler has invested in and helped over 250-plus portfolio companies worldwide and established the world's largest early-stage investment platform with an unparalleled global network of entrepreneurial leaders and advisors. He also previously co-founded a company called Zalora, which is Asia's largest fashion e-commerce company. And today, we're going to really dig deep and understand Magnus's entire journey and the lessons learned along the way what he looks for in successful founders. He's met a lot and invested in a lot. And what are those key traits? Please welcome to the podcast, Magnus Grimland. Hey, Founder Fam. Before we jump into today's conversation, I'd love to take a minute to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Sales Master AI. When iOS 14 hit, a lot of us didn't really know how to respond. And at Founder, 
part of our response has been turning to trusted experts like SMAI to lead the way forward. SMAI has really helped us drive the performance of our cost per acquisition to really acquire customers on Facebook. So do you want your ads to work better? Then if so, salesmaster.ai can help your business engage more buyers automatically using AI that places your ads in real time in front of audiences most likely to convert. So you can really increase the performance post iOS 15 and take the guesswork out of growth. Head to the link in our show notes to learn more now. Okay, now on to today's episode. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? You want the long story or the short story? Let's go with the short one. <laughs> well, um, I think since since uh, since I was about when I was when I was about ten years old, um, my great grandmother died, and I remember thinking a lot about you know what do you want to you know what, what what does life really mean and um my father at the time you know he's he was more of a communist so he he definitely thought you live your life and whatever you do during your life that's it and then my mother is more spiritual and she was there there's 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 a larger meaning to life but anyways i started thinking a lot about it and um and thought that um came to this conclusion quite early in life that um uh, at least what you can do is uh uh try to try to make a bit of a difference while you while while you're in the world and um and then fast forward a few years later i was in college at harvard and um basically it was 2003 2007 so it was that kind of second wave of tech growth um after the dot-com boom and bust and you saw this amazing companies being built across the us having such a tremendous influence all across the globe uh, at which point i decided that utilizing technology uh, to help solve important problems was uh, what i wanted to spend my time doing uh, and uh, then there was an you know intermittent period in the middle where i worked in mckinsey with tech companies all across the globe and learned a lot which is what brought me to asia um, and then i saw this pretty large opportunity in um complete kind of white space in in Southeast Asia and e-commerce uh which brought me to to be one of the co-founders of Solora which is the biggest fashion e-commerce company here similar to the iconic in in Australia and then um you know when you build one great tech company and you see that in Australia you see it everywhere like out of great tech companies come uh, the next generation great founders and that became the genesis of Antler is you know, let's let's work with these incredible people all across the globe, and uh, be the best possible partner to them. Uh, you know, two to three months before they incorporate their business, and just after, right? Which has become our core. So, uh, you know, that's that that's that's the short story, which you know it's about 30, 30 years long, but uh, that's how I ended up doing Antler. Yeah, really cool, and I, I want to dive in more throughout your careers, Alora, Ant, Red Antler, or all of that. So um, I want to go back to Harvard days, though. Like, you're in the midst of the Facebook phenomenon. Um, what was that atmosphere like? I think the atmosphere was more such that I think in the late 90s, you saw, you know, the, the tremendous potential 
you know the internet could have but it wasn't really there where you had kind of real utilitarian use cases right there, there was a few but not many it was mostly kind of information um discovery and then uh you know it was really when i started in 2003 that you know the the internet has started becoming so powerful the the coding languages the infrastructure uh the distribution engines with you know the smartphone starting and 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 so on that that you had this kind of tremendous white space all across the globe um to build new things and distributed to billions of people and not millions of people at quite low cost right and and yes um, you know facebook was obviously the biggest one who did that but like a lot of us were kind of playing around with different types of use cases like this right like so so i was involved in this project we did with a few friends called crimson reading which um you know we we realized like this this very small problem that if when you start university you have to buy like 30 books uh every year from different courses and you don't really know the curriculum and you don't know where to find the cheapest book up front so when you get it everyone is kind of hustling and bustling to get used books or uh get access to books uh, somewhere for these programs and you have to kind of search every single one so we just looked at that kind of simple problem and said hey you know why don't we just look at the index of the courses and what books is needed um uh, and we launched this engine which would then search and crawl the entire internet for uh, the best possible prices for the 30 books in one basket and then uh, you know you could shorten something that would take students seven days uh, to five minutes uh, and you know that was a tiny problem to solve but you know it saved a lot of people a lot of time and it earned us a little bit of money to then facebook has become the world's largest platform and people were working on everything in between um and it was i think this genesis where um a lot lot of exceptional people chose that that you know wall street and consulting or taking a job in a big corporate it's not the most wonderful thing in the world the most wonderful thing in the world is finding a problem to solve and uh and uh, spend your time and life doing that right mm. uh, and obviously there was a ton of failures as well <laughs> but uh, but you know out of it came arguably great things like like the facebook platform mm. and in those early days it sounds like there was quite a few projects what did you learn in those early days that helped like inform the rest of your journey i think the most important thing um for many people who are considering building a business is um that kind of first experience of it being possible right like i think every founder has that moment where um you know even if even if the startup didn't necessarily succeed in the end that feeling that hey you know here i have a product that people actually want to use and they want to pay to use it and you know when you launch a startup in the beginning most of those people are kind of your, your your friends or colleagues or whatever they are and then and then suddenly you get that first customer which you never heard about before right mm -hmm. and then you realize and that's a magical moment uh, i think for anyone whether you built kind of 
Airbnb, Facebook, an e-commerce company, or um, a new type of cancer drug or whatever it is, like that moment where someone um, that you never heard about in your entire life buys your products because they think it's 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 making their life better in 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 some way is very 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 magical. And I think the people who experience that one time um, will very often try again and again and again to scale that if they don't manage to do it the first time. Yeah, that is very special. I'm thinking back to early days founder. Um, so I'm curious, you got you, you then moved on to Rocket Internet. Uh, when you look back, what was your biggest learning from your Rocket days? Well, so um, I didn't spend too much time working with Rocket. Um, very rapidly, we started building Solora. And, um, you know, if you build, a, like building an e-commerce company, um, it's quite different depending on kind of what time you're building it at and where you're building it, right? So, you know, if you want to set up an e-commerce company now in, let's say, Europe, um, you can plug into website builders, APIs for logistic networks, uh, payment infrastructure, like literally everything you need. And you can focus on, you can focus very much on your, your positioning uh, and your products, right? Now, when we were building Solora, we really had to build almost all of that from scratch. So, you know, we had to build server parks across Southeast Asia. We had to build out warehouse logistics networks because in the fashion industry, uh, there weren't really capabilities within the fashion suppliers uh, to tap into a marketplace structure. Um, we had to build out roads. Uh, we had to build out logistics networks. We had to build out a payment system. Like when we went to Indonesia at the time, um, there was something like 3% bank card and credit card penetration, which is the most used way to, to pay for stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, still today at e-commerce sites and so the way our customers would buy the products in the early days was they would go on the site and they would okay i'm gonna get this dress and i'm gonna get those shoes and then they would put them in a the basket uh, click checkout they would get a code they had to take that code and go to the bank like whatever the local bank was which for somebody who lived a little bit on the outskirts of a city or in the rural, it might take an hour or two to get to the bank. <laughs> then you had to pay in cash. Then you had to get the, another code, go back to your computer and upload uh, that code. And then your checkout process would be done, right? Like wow. for anyone who's done anything in terms of sales, uh, the more assistance and barriers you create in the checkout process, the more cancellations you're going to get. But like, what was the alternative, right? The, um, there, there just weren't many good alternatives to serve, you know, a big part of the Indonesia customer base. And by the way, it was the same in a lot of Southeast Asian countries at the time. So we decided to roll out uh, together with another e-commerce company, what was really the first, you know, pan-Southeast Asian cash and delivery system, mm -hmm. uh, which sounds easy, right? In the way that, okay, you send someone something and then they'll pay the delivery man and then you, you get the money back. It sounds simple in principle, but then when you send the package from a warehouse in Jakarta to um, a distribution center to 
an airport which flies it somewhere to a truck that drives it to a port but and then onto a boat and then onto another truck and then onto a, a motorcyclist that hands it to a person in some island somewhere in Indonesia and that person pays ten dollars <laughs> in cash and then that money needs to find its way back to our warehouse in Indonesia, you can imagine how kind of complex such a system is to build, right? So, you know, when we first launched the system, we had something like 100, I think it was 108 working days of capital out in the in the ecosystem somewhere, right? So this was orders we had delivered had been paid for, and the cash was somewhere across Southeast Asia, making its way back to, to our warehouses, right? And you can imagine that's that's pretty stressful uh, when you're building a very fast-growing business and your orders keeps ticking up every day and you just see that, you know, more and more your cash flow is kind of stuck out there somewhere. So then the next, you know, task became like, how can we reduce that, right? Like now it's reduced about four or five days. Um, but, you know, there's these types of challenges that, like one of the things we like to talk a lot about to our founders is, Yes, you can be the best team working on the best possible business model, but you're going to run into these types of issues that I'm just addressing at some point of time, whatever it might be. It might not be having 108 days, 108 days worth of, uh, of, of cash across <laughs> Southeast Asia, but, but you're going to run into these issues that, that might bankrupt you, that might you know, mean that you can't move forward. And the way you work to resolve these types of things is, is very often what determines the success from not a success. It's very often the grittiest teams that work the hardest on finding ways around very hard problems that then enables them to create a real competitive advantage that, that will end up winning. And sometimes not the smartest teams with the best ideas, just the ones who like stick at it and get it done. And then obviously when this thing worked for us, nobody else had the payment system like this. Like on all other sites, people would still go to the bank and make that payment but suddenly with us they could just wait for the package and pay cash which which created a tremendous competitive advantage and i think led to solora now still being you know this is now it's 10 years in now it's still the biggest we, we sold the business back in 2015 but it's still the biggest fashion e-commerce company in the region they've faced a lot of competition and i think they're actually the first profitable e-commerce company in the region mm, interesting so talk to me around kind of talent and capability um, because yeah like they're, they're, it's not like the valley it's not like New York or America like how did you find incredible people were you looking for for more kind of the capability skill and talent or you were looking for cultural behaviors that you thought were important um, yeah building out Zalora yeah so at the time right you couldn't since there weren't that many tech businesses around, you, it was kind of hard to hire people with experience, right? So like, if you wanted to hire someone in performance marketing, you couldn't just go to another growth tech company and hire like a great performance marketer. Yeah. Um, you needed to find intrinsically strong people with a, you know, with, with clear spikes, a ton of drive and grit. You were excited to become the best performance marketer in the region. And then you needed to kind of train them, right? And and within you know 
our product organization and coding organization within performance marketing, logistics, whatever it was, we ended up looking for just intrinsically incredibly strong individuals that were excited and passionate about that functional area. And then we brought in a few people who had experience from this, from other places in the world, um, who would kind of train the next generation, I think, great, great tech leaders in the region. And, and, and that really worked, right? Like we'd literally hire people anywhere, right? Like, because if we were, we were just in such a need of, um, of, of people. So I remember hiring people in like bookstores and on the bus and uh, at the airport and, you know, over dinner or at the wedding. And, you know, we just tried to find like intrinsically strong people anywhere and like funnel them into this kind of training organization. And out of that came, you know, some really great people, right? So, so Laura became this kind of breeding ground for great entrepreneurs. So, you know, Gojek, you just IPO'd through GoTo in Indonesia, $25 billion valuation. Uh, Nadim and Kevin, who built that, used to be part of Solora. Um, and uh, Shopee, which is now the biggest e-commerce platform here, part of C Group. Chris Feng, who built that, was part of Solora. Stashaway, Shopback, Lockout. Uh, tons of other great companies. And I think the reason for that is we we managed to get, you know, intrinsically great people on board who became the leaders within their space um, in the country or the region. And they saw what was possible and used that to build the next great thing, right? Yeah. I'm curious. I'd love to explore that a little more. Like, because a lot of people watching, they might not be in the best position to to get you know, the most experienced talent with next level capability or have seen certain things. What advice would you give to founders when they're in the early stages, um, perhaps even don't have um, the, even the experience to know what to look for, right? Of what good looks like. Like what, what experience, like, yeah, what, what advice would you give? I think it's, it's very much, three things that matters. Whether you're looking for a great founder to back or you're looking for a great team member. Um, you wanna bring in people who are intrinsically great at something, right? Um, that have a clear spike. I think the best team members and the best founders are not averagely great at everything, but they're incredibly great at something and then not so good on a lot of other things. And they are, they realize what their strength is and they utilize that strength to be a real asset. Um, and that could be, you know, it could be some experience, right? That you're incredibly great at a specific coding language and you like to spend your entire weekend kind of creating new applications in that, or it could be more generic. Like you probably have friends who would walk into an elevator with 12 strangers and when the elevator hits the bottom floor, they're kind of friends with everyone and they're having drinks on Friday and they're like naturally this kind of people's person or like salesperson or whatever you want to call it. So strength, like clear spike. Second is look for um, drive, like that, that inner engine, which is I think a combination of two things. One is kind of passion and ambition. So how excited is this individual to really like make a difference, right? And, uh, and be great at something. Um, 
And it's fine not to be, right? Like there are a lot of people who don't necessarily have that, that drive, but having team members with that drive, it just make, it's, makes such a difference from, from having people who are just showing up to work to, work to, to, to cash a paycheck, right? Um, so, so it's kind of passion and ambition combined with the ability to execute. Like that's the other thing. Like there, there is a lot of really passionate people out there. They have no ability at all to execute on their passion. And we all, have, you know, we all have friends like that, right? Who are, <laughs> you know, so you need, so, so that's drive, like, you know, passion, ambition combined with ability to execute. And then the third aspect that we really look at, whether you're a founder or a team member is the thing I talked about earlier, which is grit, right? Like, is this a person who are committed to complete whatever they set out to do? And you you know that as well. Like have, we all have friends who say they're going to do something, they start doing it, and then like three weeks later, they, okay, I want to do this thing instead, <laughs> whether it's like a hobby or a project or whatever it is. Like great employees and great founders, when they decide to do something, they don't give up on the way. How do you read that? Well, so you can look at people's backgrounds. So a lot of people will just jump from one thing to another. Um, you can also dig deep into like challenging situations people have been into and, you know, what they ended up doing. Like, so for example, when we were building Solora, when we realized that it was hard for our customers to pay for anything online, mm. we could have then become a small business or we could solve that problem. Um, and build a big business and then deep diving with me around like how we worked on that and resolve that topic is a great way to kind of figure out whether I have the necessary grit or not. Right. So, so it's like spike driving grit. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. You talked about execution. That's a really interesting one to me because I know exactly what you're talking about. Like we all have friends that kind of they have that drive they, they have that grit, but they don't have the ability to influence outcomes and really truly execute and especially moving comfortably amongst the chaos. How do you identify that in the early days when you're just meeting somebody or recruiting? The best, the best way to do it is if you have the, a real opportunity to spend real time with the individual, right? Like, so, I mean, obviously it's, you know, in the very early days of building a business, so for example, when we were building Antler, um, we had about a four-month period where I'd rented a really tiny, scrappy 
office space above a pub in Singapore called Black Swan. And, and I just I just invited, like, when I found the great people, I just invited them all to come and sit with us and start working on this idea together. Um, and um, so we would spend, you know, literally seven days a week in this, like, tiny place, now and then go down for a beer. Um, just problem solving the idea around Antler. And we'd call up, like, every single VC in the world with, uh, you know, look at what everyone else has done. We'd look at, you know, the process of what we're doing and figure out, like, who are the best in the world at, like, scouting people, who are the best in the world at uh, creating early stage momentum, who's the best in the world at looking at product market fit. And then we'd find somebody new them and call them up and ask, okay, you know, how would you go about doing this? So we, we literally stress tested everything. Um, and then we went on a bit of a roadshow. And then I got to work with this eight, nine people who, you know, none of us had really committed to each other. But we could observe each other and see who really got stuff done. And uh, so that, that's a great way. And like in the, in the Antler kind of cohorts, like we bring in eight or to 90 founders together at the same time. You actually get to spend those two to three months together before deciding on who you want to bring on as your first employees and co-founders. And when you're a little bit later stage in the startup journey, let's say you're like four or five months in, you can still do that because you can tell people are very excited about your idea and want to come on that, hey, you know, yeah, come in and do some work with us. And then you can choose whether you want to bring them on board or not. Um, so that's one great way. Now, I would say when you're a much bigger company, and you know, let's say you're trying to hire a CMO, you can't pick like an incredible marketing person and say, hey, why don't you come and work with us for two months? And then we'll figure out whether it works or not, right? You actually need to make the decision up front. I think what is critical there on the execution aspect is to go deeper and deeper and deeper into a specific area where the person you're talking to believe that they had that effect, right? So let's say I was, you know, they were responsible for um, launching the you know, creating a much better SEO strategy for the company they were just in. And then you say, okay, well, tell us, tell us more about that. And then, you know, and then how do you set up the, the team to execute on that? And, blah, blah. and then you could just go and why and how, and but you go deeper and deeper and deeper. And after a while you realize whether this person has actually made that happen or we're just part of a team that made that happen. Right. <laughs> and, you know, if that person was actually the person who made it happen, then great. You know, that's a great signal. If it was just part of a team that made it happen, that, that's a warning sign, right? If the thing you asked them about where they had the most, you know, impact on execution was actually not them. <laughs> yeah, so Zalora was eventually acquired uh, by Global Fashion Group. Were you still active at that point in the business by the time it was acquired? Yeah, so uh, I was leading all of um, our kind of country organizations and then I was running... Um, we'd roll out our marketplace. So when we got acquired, um, I was tapped to be the chief operating officer of the new group, which also acquired um, Iconic in Australia and Jabong in India and La Mora in Eastern Europe and uh, uh, Dafiti and, and a bunch of other kind of fashion e-commerce assets. Awesome. And uh, when you look back, what were your biggest learnings from Zalora that really helped um, inform your journey? One thing that I like telling founders really early on from my own experience is like, I mean, get ready to live in a tent and 
you know, you, you kind of like when you go from, let's say, if you're just coming from college and you're starting a business, it's kind of easier because when you're in college, you kind of, unless you have like rich parents, you're, you're still kind of living on scraps very often, right? Like, so it's, mm. it's kind of a gritty experience going to another gritty experience. But a lot of founders will go from, let's say like, yeah, you know, they've been, they've been part of building up Spotify and, you know, they're now like a quite senior leader or engineer in Spotify and they have good salary. They get free sushi on Fridays and, you know, perhaps there's like yoga on Monday morning and, you know, they fly business class if they fly internationally and so on. Right. And then you have to go to literally kind of living in a tent with very little income and you know that your baby can kind of explode at any point of time. Like the one thing that you care about the most, like it's so precarious in that early moment. So I think that being prepared for that and knowing that every single founder out there who are starting a business is going through the same process is incredibly important. And, and then front-loading um, that experience. So I think that a lot of, you know, a, a lot of people end up, you know, working at things in the wrong way. So when you start, a, when you start a business, the time that you have available to yourself in the early days is just so much more important than the time you have available to yourself later. So in the early days, the only ones who are moving the business forward is you, um, because it's only you, perhaps one or other, one or other two, one, one or two other co-founders. But if you guys are not working uh, and moving the business forward, nothing is happening. Now, fast forward two years, if you've been successful in executing on that, you've actually hired some great people. And you're, if you hired great people, your time actually becomes less relevant. So like a combination of kind of knowing how tough it would be with, um, you know, real front loading to create that early momentum. Because once you create momentum, momentum creates momentum. So like once you start getting a few customers, once you raise the first bit of money, once you have the product out there, once you get a bit of press, then it gets much easier to do everything. And then you started creating this flywheel. But the only one who can really get that off the ground is, um, is, is you as a founder. So therefore, like, you know, get ready to... I, I, I tell most people that are getting started, like call all your friends and family and tell them, Hey, I'm sorry. I don't have you know much time to spend with you over the next couple of years because I'm going to be busy building my business. If you want to spend time with me, come help me accomplish that. <laughs> and then be singularly kind of focused on that. And then, uh, um, you know, obviously if you have children, you should spend some time with them. But apart from that, like, the first couple of years of the business is just so incredibly important. If you don't get momentum, then it's very, very, very hard. It's still possible. Like Airbnb, I think, was stuck in this no man's land for two and a half years. But in most instances, like creating that early momentum will just make everything much easier. Mm. And so tell me, I'd love to talk about the Antler journey. Um, so you talked about how it started. What kind of, would you say, separates you guys from any other VC or incubator? What separates, uh, separates us from most VCs is um, we focus on investing in founders and not companies. So we look to find incredible people who are just getting started on their journey. And 
you know, very often we start working with them before they incorporated their business and um, be the first money in. So we're like day minus one investors. We'll make the investment decision before the company is incorporated based on the strength of the team and the idea they're working on. Um, and our core value proposition and the number one strength that we are working on is being a great partner to the founders that are just getting started. Like, so we don't want to be a number top on the founders list when they're raising their series A, but we want to be on the top of a founders list when they are just getting started. And for any founder out there who are looking for the first money into their business, we, we believe that we've, we're now in a position where, where we'll be the best partner to you. Right. So I think that's number one, the difference between VCs and us. The second thing is the difference between kind of incubators. It depends. Like a lot of incubators are focused on specific IDs and then they find founders around those IDs. Um, some are more kind of venture builders, which take a lot of, uh, uh, you know, equity in the business and, um, you know, the founders have less. Some are similar to us, but you know, don't have that global network. Like we now operate in uh, 23 markets across the globe. We have a network of 700 advisors. We have relationships with all the top VCs out there. We we have playbooks and perks from all the major, uh, you know, providers of services as you need as a startup. So so we can really help. And, and I think that's one of the things we've done, for example, in Australia very successfully is we, we kind of help build regional or global businesses so what I like to tell founders is like, don't come to us if you want to build a new kebab shop, but if you want to build a new type of plant-based kebab meat, which is in every single kebab in, in the world, then, then we're a good investor because we can help you with that internationalization, get international capital on board and so on. Um, so, you know, we just want to find great people, put the first money into their business. We, we, we typically in that first round, you know, we, we put in, you know, a few hundred K and we don't take more than 10% equity. So 90% of the business is still owned by the founder. So it's, it's a strong, you know, we're, we're a very strong value proposition for founders as they're just getting started. And I think any single founder who are at that stage right now, where they're either kind of leaving their business or they've left their business or they just get it started and they're looking for that first capital or a partner to kind of make that journey, or they're looking for co-founders, like, I, I believe we're now in a place where uh, we're, we're definitely amongst the, the, the top choices. Mm, awesome. Um, yeah, so like, you know, I'm, I'm definitely very familiar with Antler. You guys have a great presence. Um, so I'd love to delve a bit deeper in kind of the qualities you look for in the founders that you back. Yeah. So it goes back to actually what I was talking about earlier. So, you know, it's, it's a clear spike, you know, something that you're incredibly great at and better than most other people drive, combination of passion, ambition, and, and ability to execute. And third is uh, grit. Now, I spoke about those earlier, so I'm not going to repeat the definition, but the what is interesting with all of them is that you're not born with any of that, right? Yes, you, you, you might be born with like better genetics or whatever, but like you build a spike throughout your life. You build drive throughout your life. You build grit throughout your life. You can build mental resilience. You can build the ability to execute. You can build passion and ambition. You can build a great strength. So what, you know, by looking at that as kind of core criteria um, and giving access to the same type of networks. Like, so when I started, for example, Solora or Antler, like I had, you know, 
I'm going to be humble and say that I had the great luxury of having access to great people through my McKinsey network, through the Harvard network, through um, you know other things that I've been part of. A lot of founders don't have that, and we can offer that same kind of access to great networks as you're just getting started. So by us looking at things that you can actually build combined with providing that same starting point for everyone, we ended up seeing like a bit of a democratization of the whole kind of entrepreneurial journey in the way that the diversity of the founders that we have in our, our courts is incredible. It's like a lot of them has been part of building other great tech companies, but you know, there's a lot of people who are part of building a, a Flipkart who you know, grew up in you know, not great areas in India if you got a job there early and then ended up doing really well. So we have these types of founders with like less education, but a lot of entrepreneurial experience. And then we have people like me who happen to go to kind of great universities in the US and and had the kind of more of a, a little traditional backgrounds. So we have all types of backgrounds, a lot of diversity. 35% of our founders, for example, um, uh, are, are female. Um, which compares to like low single digits globally, um, people from 71 nations. Um, so if you have a spike, a ton of drive and grit, we'd love to help you build a great business because we do believe that's the most important and not necessarily kind of where you grew up and which school you went to. Look, uh, I could talk to you all day, man. I'm conscious of time. couple last questions and we'll work towards wrapping up. Majority of people that apply for the program, they don't get in. What are some red flags that you look for? What separates them? I mean, we'd obviously love to support more founders, but um, we, we get now more than 50,000 applicants per year. And, um, you know, we, we, we don't have the ability to kind of back more than we're currently doing. So um, we currently back about kind of 1% of the, of the founders that we see, unfortunately. Um, but... So there's definitely a lot of incredible people that have applied that we should have backed, but we um, we just, you know, we, we need to set the line somewhere. But the ones who come in have kind of clearly demonstrated those three aspects that I just talked about, um, which is, you know, a real spike, tunnel drive and, and grit. And, and sometimes, you know, it might just not have come through and they will end up building great businesses without our support. Other times people will apply the next time around and then we don't make the mistake and, and, and get them on board and support them. So, um, you know, I think for anyone who's kind of gone through that experience, just kind of apply again and, and reach out and get feedback. And we also have the Antler Academy currently, which we launched, which is in a beta version in Australia. We're rolling it out globally now where you can go and do a six-week entrepreneurial course where we go through a lot of the stuff that we do, um, you know, in our offices. Uh, so, yeah, I really encourage everyone to do that. Awesome. Well, look, uh, we're going to move to the hot seat now. Um, this is kind of rapid fire questions and answers. Uh, the yeah. first one I have is if you could go back to your first day in business and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be and why? Front load. I get stuff done now, which creates momentum in the future. Net, net, you'll end up accomplishing more uh, and spending less time achieving it. If you could travel back in time and invest in only one startup in history, what would it be and why? Probably SpaceX in their first round. What's something you've learned today? 
when you try to achieve something, just building up this mental resilience in your mind that failure is not an option. Failure is still okay, and then you learn from it. But if you come into any type of situation thinking that failure is okay, then you tend to fail. So go in there and think that no matter what, I'm going to achieve this. Last question. If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? I'd probably choose um, Steve Jobs. The impact he's had on the world is quite profound. And not only within kind of the consumer space, but for businesses and you know even kind of deep tech in the future of healthcare and a lot of kind of very important areas. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Magnus. This was awesome. I had a ton of fun. And uh, yeah, I could talk to you all day, man. Your, your wealth of experience this will really help a lot of people in our community. Yeah, no, thanks, Nathan. And yeah, thanks for taking the time. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic And I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.